Hey, good morning, Arbor. How you doing? It's good to see you this morning. Hey, if you brought your Bibles, uh, go ahead and grab them, pull them out. You can uh, turn to Psalm 90, or if you brought your phone, you can jump on there to the Bible app and, and jump into Psalm 90. That'll be where we'll be hanging out this morning. Uh, we're in a summer series that we are calling Savor, and the whole idea, the whole premise is this, is that we want to intentionally remember the good things that God has given us. We want to intentionally remember the good things God has given us. Here at this church, we, uh, we spend time and we talk about the difficult things. We talk about the painful things. We try not to run away from the reality of what is when it comes to pain on this planet. Uh, but we also want to take some time and we want to savor, appreciate, and breathe in and breathe out and soak in the good things that God has given us. And so in this series, we've been going through a handful of beautiful gifts that God has given us, such as the gift of salvation. And we've talked about the gift of peace and we've talked about the gifts, the gift of rest. And uh, last week, Brian did a great job talking on the gift of God's word. Um, I got to admit, the connection cards, there were a lot of them uh, that we got from last week. So if you're here, I've never heard anybody do that before, where they ask you to fill out positive feedback on the connection cards before they spoke. Um, but you guys did, which was amazing. So that was great. Uh, so today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk on time. We're going to talk about savoring time. And one thing that we all have in common, one thing that we always, as a culture, um, in, our, in our world, in our lives, that we're always, 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 always aware of, that we are conscious of, is what time it is. We are always aware of what time it is because of watches, because of our cell phones, pretty much anywhere you go has a clock on the wall to tell you what time it is. We are very time conscious in our culture. In fact, while I'm speaking today, a majority of you will check your watch or you will check your phone to see how I am doing, which I think is kind of funny because we let you out every single week within a 10-minute span of time because if we don't, there will be chaos in the children's ministry and I can't deal with Anna. I'm scared, okay? <laughs> so, you're time conscious. I'm time conscious. There's a big old clock right back there for me to be able to look at so I know that we are on time. We are very time conscious. In fact, one of the most popular or the most common questions that's ever asked is, what time is it? All throughout the world, people ask the question, what time is it? Every once in a while, we will lose ourselves, right? We will lose ourselves in a novel or in a project or in a hobby that we love, and we'll say something like, I lost track of time. But very quickly, we recover, and we figure out what time it is, and we're back on track because we are very time conscious. And the problem with always checking to see what time it is is it's a constant reminder of one of the most depressing things about you, and that is this, is that you are running out of time. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning, right? <laughs> You're running out of time. I'm running out of time. We are running out of time. We've got calendars that tell us the years as they go by and the months as they go by. We have watches that tell us the minutes and, and the hours that go by. If you have a second hand, you could literally watch your life slip away tick by tick by tick by tick. We are constantly and and, and consciously aware of what time it is. And unfortunately, it is a reminder of one of the most depressing things is 
that's, we're running out of time. And if you blink, you'll miss it. Eventually, we get to the point in life, and I am right there, right now, where you, and I think it typically happens in your mid-40s, where you quit thinking about how old you are, and you start thinking about how much time you have left. One day, you wake up, and you're like, oh my gosh, I am running out of time. If I'm going to do something, I better do it right now, because you start to sense that there's this finish line that is coming. My son, Percy, he's not worried about any finish line. If you spend any time with him, I mean, literally more than two minutes, he's going to tell you how old he is. He is four years old, and he's going to tell you all the things that he's going to do when he turns five, because he is constantly aware of how old he is. Me, on the other hand, I'm not aware of how old I am. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about how much time I have left until those mandatory colonoscopies. I'm really dreading those things right there. Right? I think that happens around 50, but unfortunately I've had one early because I'm an overachiever. And so uh, I'm not looking forward to that. So we're worried about what time we have left. My point is this, is that time is click, click, clicking away. In fact, last Sunday, I did an, un an unexpected funeral for a friend of mine. She was 35 years old. 35 years old. She literally just had a baby in January, a new baby. And so she left two boys here on this planet. Her time ran out. Friends, we never actually know. And so maybe the question, what time is it, is not actually the best question that we could be asking. Maybe there is a better question that we could be asking, such as, how do I savor the time that I have been given? How do I savor my time? Now, that's a big question, and that's something we're tackling and investing into. And so here's how we're going to go about answering it this, uh, this Sunday, today. I want to give you three perspectives. First, I want to give you my personal perspective. I have unfortunately been blessed with rare perspective or outlook when it comes to time. And at times I, I wrestle with how often I should share about my daughter, Maggie. I mean, I've even had advice to say you should not share as much, but we learned so much in that time because um, it literally changed our lives. And so I want to share a little bit about that and how that changed our perspective and my perspective on time. That's one perspective. The second one is I want to give you a perspective on Moses. Uh, Moses wrote a psalm in uh, Psalm 90, which is interesting. When you think of the psalms, you normally think of who? You think of David, right? And, and, and Moses actually wrote a psalm, a poem, if you will, about time. And we'll talk about that a little bit. And then at the very end, I want to give you a third perspective from a friend of mine who is literally smack dab, I'm asking him to give his testimony, um, and he's going to come up here and he's going to share a little bit about what's going on in his life and his rare glimpse at time and the limited time that we have. And so I want to give you the big idea right from the beginning. I'm going to give you the main point. If you're going to write anything down, go ahead, grab that note in front of you. This is the time to write it down. All three perspectives that we'll be talking about um, are going to support this principle, this thought that apparently, is it on the screen already? No, it's not on the screen. Okay, I see everybody looking at the screen, so I don't know what's going on. I'm being thrown off now. Uh, so in case you're going to leave early, these are the, uh, this is the main point. And in case you check out, I want you to check this out right here. This is the whole idea, and that is this. Remembering our time is limited provides us with the wisdom to savor our limited time. 
It's a huge point. That's the main idea. Remembering that our time is limited provides us with the wisdom or the know-how or the insight to savor, to soak up, to appreciate our limited time. And so what I want to do is I want to spend the next 30 minutes unpacking that thought and kind of giving context to it. And so let's start with my personal perspective. I have unfortunately been blessed. I would say I've been tragically gifted with the perspective of the brevity of time that we have. Some of you know, most of you know that we lost our daughter a little while ago. And we thought that we had a lifetime to spend with her. We thought we had a lifetime to spend with her. I thought that I would see her lose her first tooth. I thought I would teach her how to ride a bike and take off the training wheels. I thought I would watch her play soccer or even coach her soccer team at some point in time. I thought I would take her to school and take her to high school and at some point in time I would teach her how to drive and to drive a stick and how to do that and then stay up all night worrying about whether or not she's going to make it home. I thought I would meet her first boyfriend and then I thought I'd put the fear of God in that little guy <laughs> but I never got that opportunity. I thought I'd walk her down the aisle. I thought I would be able to dance with her at her wedding and I thought that it maybe, in some ways, if she was blessed with it, would be able to hold her baby. But unfortunately, in our world, time ran out. And you never know, friends. You just never know. You truly do not know. And so here's what we did. When we found out that our time was truly limited with her, it completely changed how we spent our time. We, we figured we had about nine and a half months is what we ended up having. Nine months. They told us three months to a year we had nine months. And what we did is how we responded is we slowed way the heck down. And we started doing what was the most important and we tried to savor every single second that we had. We played outside more. We went to Northwest Trek, which is a, a, a place where I grew up where there's a bunch of animals that she got to look at. We swam in Grandma Tutu's pool many times. Make-A-Wish, because of her diagnosis, threw a princess ball in Magnolia's honor. And at the end of that magical day, Maggie belted out, let it go to hundreds of family members and friends. And I am telling you, she did amazing. We watched it this weekend. We finally flew to the happiest place on earth, and there we met all the princesses. And we watched every parade that they had, and we rode every single ride that we were tall enough to ride. We went and played in the mountain snow. We attended the Nutcracker Ballet. We participated in a candlelight service on Christmas Eve as a family. Christmas morning, we got up and we gathered around the tree. And then we opened our stockings with great delight. We took walks around our neighborhood. We took the girls to the Seattle Aquarium. And then we took naps together. A lot. We went to the movies. We went bowling. We went to the butterfly exhibit in Seattle. We finally met our new baby brother, Percy. And then we tried to take family pictures like everybody else. This is how it always works out, isn't it? 
We went hiking in the woods. We hunted eggs on Easter. We went fishing in Montana. We flew to the shores of Hawaii and then played in the sand while we were there. (laughs) What I love about that is she did not cry. We decorated cakes at Pinkabella's. We floated in a hot air balloon. We held baby bunnies at Peyton's Ranch. We went to Hood Canal, the family cabin, one last time. We ate dinner every single night together, every night. And we said, I love you, even after she couldn't talk anymore. And eventually we said goodbye for now. Friends, that time that we got to spend some of the best times that I have ever had in my entire life. It was both excruciating and sacred, but it truly taught us how to savor every second. And now that I'm back in what I would call normal life, I sometimes find myself slipping back into autopilot, back into this you know, regular routine and forgetting the rare perspective that God has given us. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to forget that because remembering that our time is limited provides us with the wisdom, the insight to savor our limited time. And so friends, this weekend, in fact, actually yesterday, was Maggie's four-year anniversary of her passing. And so as a family... We were intentional. We went to Hood Canal, the family cabin. You saw a picture of us on the side of the beach. We sat on that beach together again. It's just Maggie wasn't there this time. And we went there and we spent time intentionally remembering because we don't want to forget. In fact, it's painful to forget. I hate that about losing a loved one is that slowly it starts to slip away and you can't recall. And I, I don't want that. I don't want that closeness to go away. And so we were intentional and we enjoyed and spent time remembering her and we spent time celebrating with each other and just connecting with each other. We played in the water, we played on the beach, we swung on the swing, we even grabbed all the mattresses from all the beds and we put them in the main living room and we all slept together. And slept is a relative word when you do that right there. (laughs) Apparently everyone else slept because I'm the one that snores and I did fine, I slept great. But truly, just savoring each and every single moment that we can. And we were intentional. And and what it does is when you realize that time is limited, it prioritizes what you do. You'll do this automatically. It instantly gives you the wisdom to be able to know I should do this or I shouldn't do that. I need to stop doing this because that's not important. But this is important. And it helps you to prioritize when you remember that we have limited time. It did it for us. It's done it for my family, and we've tried to continue to live that way as often as possible. Remembering that our time is limited, we take a lot of pictures now. We take a lot of video. We did back then. We still have it. I still have not watched every single video of my daughter at this point in time, and I look forward to making my way through that pile of video over the years. Remembering that our time is limited provides us with the wisdom or the insight to savor our limited time. That's our perspective.
The second perspective I want to talk about is the perspective of Moses. Now, many of you guys know who Moses is, but here's the reason why we should listen to Moses is because the guy lived to be 120. And so he knows a little something about time. He basically lived three lives. At first, he was the prince of Egypt. He wasn't born as an Egyptian. He was born a Hebrew, and then he was adopted and brought into Pharaoh's household by Pharaoh's daughter, where he learned to walk like an Egyptian and talk like an Egyptian, and you obviously get it, yes. But he lived a high life. He lived, he was fed by the silver spoon. He had the, the life of privilege. He was in the royal household. And then he killed somebody, which is not a good thing to do. And from that point on, he became a fugitive. And he, he literally escaped and he became a shepherd, catch this, for 40 years. For 40 years, he woke up with the sheep and went to sleep with the sheep. And wherever the sheep went, that's where Moses was. And what's interesting about Moses is that he didn't know the end of his story. When we look at God's word and we hear his story, we think, oh, he's going to be this great leader. But really, he's sitting for 40 years thinking, is this it? I killed someone. I, I murdered someone. I did something wrong. I sinned against uh, my homeland, and I sinned against God. And this is my punishment. I've spent 40 years as a shepherd. And then what happened is that it changed. And he ran into a burning bush. He literally ran into God. God got a hold of his life. And he became the leader of a nation for the next 40 years. He went back to Pharaoh, his brother, and said, let my people go. If you've watched the show, you know it. Let my people go. And then he did some of the greatest miracles on the history of this planet. And he marched the Egyptians, or the, 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 uh, the Hebrews, out of Egypt. And he spent, catch this, the next 40 years wandering and listening to the complaints of his people. He went through a lot. He lived multiple lives. And as a result, he has a rare perspective on time. And he shares that with us in the 90th Psalm. And so let's walk through that and unpack the principle that we talked about. Psalm 90, verse 1, here's what Moses says. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. He's talking about the nation of Israel and how God has been with them from generation to generation to generation. And then he sets the stage and he says, before the mountains were born or before you brought forth the whole world, here's the key phrase here, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From everlasting to everlasting. Friends, context is key. Context is key. Moses is giving us the framework. He's giving us the bookends. And the bookends and the context are everlasting to everlasting. He's saying from everlasting to everlasting is God. And somewhere inside the middle of all that is us. Somewhere between everlasting to everlasting is us. That is so important. Hold on to that thought as we keep going. Moses, verse 3, says this. He says, you, God, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. Sounds like a Gandalf saying or something like that. Return to dust, you mortals. Now, what Moses is doing here is he's, he's giving like this He's poetically saying, in the context of everlasting to everlasting, God controls everything. In the context of everlasting to everlasting, God dictates the number of our days. God determines 
the length of our lives. That's what he's saying. Between everlasting to everlasting, there's us, and God is in control of it. Now, here's where time comes in. Verse 4. It says, A thousand years in your sight, God's sight, are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night, which in biblical times was about three to four hours, so three and a half hours. It is crazy. It is pretty much impossible to comprehend God's perspective on time. So I did the best I could do thinking, is there any way we can get a hold of this? And, and the only way I can think of is from being a kid to an adult. When you are a kid, time seems to stand still, does it not? It does. The days in the summer are like the longest days ever, ever. When you were a kid and you were riding in your parents' car, you remember how long that was? You felt like you were never going to get there. Christmas would never come. It didn't matter. It's just so far away. It's never going to make it. And nowadays that we're adults, right, time flies by. It just speeds right on past. And it's, it's like, oh my gosh, is it Christmas again? Like, didn't we open presents last week? What the heck? Time is flying by. And that is just a fraction of how God feels from everlasting to everlasting. A thousand years is like three and a half hours. Now, I know Moses was talking figuratively, but because I'm compulsive, I had to do the math. And so that's nine and a half months to us is equal to one second with God. I'll say that again. Nine and a half months to us is like one second to God. And so think about that, ladies, in childbirth. How wonderful would that be? It's like there's conception in 1,000 and I have a baby. You know, it's like that's how quick it would be. The painless, easy, there you go. Time almost stands still in God's perspective. Verse number five. Here's where it gets heavy. Yet you... Speaking of God, sweep, away, sweep people away in the, sleep, in the sleep of death. They are like new grass of the morning. He's talking about us. In the morning, it springs up new, but by evening, it is dry and withered. Moses is trying to give us perspective. He is saying that your life, as important as it is, is literally just like grass that comes up, not in, in western Washington, but in eastern Washington. It comes up, and in the middle of the day, it dries and it withers. He's saying as important as it is, all the accomplishments that you have, between everlasting to everlasting, it's just a blip on the radar. It's just so brief. So, 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 so brief. Moses is so uplifting, but it gets worse. He says this. He says, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them or the best years of our lives are but trouble and sorrow. For they, the best years, they quickly pass and we fly away. Moses must have been a delight at dinner parties. <laughs> so what is Moses saying? Is he saying that our lives don't matter because of their brevity? He is no, he is not saying that. Moses is saying that in the context of everlasting to everlasting, there is something more. There is something bigger. There is something greater. There is something grander. Friends, it's that feeling that we intuitively have when we look up at the stars. It's that feeling that we have when we look out at the ocean and we know that our life is not the point of our lives. 
It's not about us, as Rick Warren said. It's not about us. How many of you guys have ever met someone who makes the world all about them? Everything is all about them. When you're four years old, that's totally fine. That's expected. But when you're 40 years old, and you guys, we all know someone like this, and you make the world all about you, you know instinctively there's something off about that. There's something wrong about that. Because it's not supposed to be all about us. It's not about us. It's about something bigger, something greater, something grander. Now the next verse, I question whether or not I should even share it because it's, it's complicated, it's confusing. It gets lost in translation. And so what I'll do is I'll read it and then I'll try to explain it. Moses says this. He says, if only, if only we knew, implication we do not know. We do not know. If only we knew the power of your anger or your grandeur. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Now, between the Greek and the English translation, this is a poorly constructed sentence because there's words that get dropped out. And rather than giving you a Greek to English um, like lesson or whatnot, let me just try to paraphrase or tell you what it says or tell you what it means rather than the word for word of what it says. Here's the paraphrase. If we could see God as he is, we would give him the reverence that he is due. If we could see God as he is, we would give him the reverence that he is due. Moses kind of pauses right here in the middle of his poem, in the middle of his psalm, and he says, wow, holy cow. If we could see God for how he is, his full glory, then we would give him the reverence. We would give him the respect. We would give him the awe. We would give him the admiration that he is due. Moses says, God, you are everlasting to everlasting. You are that big. And we are just a blip in the middle of that. We're just a small piece of grass that comes up and then withers away. We have a tiny, 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 tiny slice of time. And because of that, does it not make sense? Is it not rational to take our little itsy bitsy teeny weeny tiny sliver of existence and give it back for God's glory? If we try to make something of our little slice of time in the context of everlasting to everlasting, it's not even going to make a drop in the bucket. And so, friends, that's it. That's our play. That's our only hope. That's our best move. That's our one shot at significance. As if we would jump on board, if we would align our fleeting lives, if we would tether our 70 to 80 years from everlasting to everlasting, if we do that for his glory, we will find significance with the short amount of time that we have. Amen? If we could only see the full glory of God, the implication is we can't. The full glory of God. You've got to think about this. From everlasting to everlasting, the ancients or the, um, those in the, the Old Testament, they believed that if you saw the full glory of God, that you would die. That your eyes would pop out of your head. That you would literally just fall over if he showed himself to you. And so he was so powerful. So throughout history, what he ended up doing, he would show us just a beep of glory. He'd just go, glory, that's all I can show you. I'm this huge, but I'm just going to show you 
glory. Just give us that much glory. That's all he can give us is just a tiny, tiny bit. Moses, who wrote this psalm, literally got closer to God than anybody else in the history of people. He was right there. He got to see his shoulder. Wow. And when he saw his shoulder, what's he do? He comes down from the mountain and he's glowing. He's literally glowing. He is light is coming out of him. Moses got as close as he ever could and he just saw a little glory, just a tiny little bit of glory. Last week, Brian mentioned that I saw something in scripture that I had not seen before. And maybe you haven't seen this either. But in the gospels, there's this crazy situation where Jesus is coming to be arrested. And what happens is they're going to take him and he's, you know, Judas has already betrayed him and the, and the guards are coming and they're all in their gear and they got their swords and they're coming to get Jesus. And Jesus steps forward and says, who are you looking for? And they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And then Jesus uses the wrong words because what he says is he says, I am he. And he shouldn't have said, I am because when he said, I am, the scripture tells us that the, the, the guards fell down. It was like just a little bit of glory, like just like, he says, I am glory. And he's like, oops, oh my bad, right? And they fell to the ground because of the glory that he had within him just by saying the phrase, I am. The glory of God, if we could see it in its fullness, which we can't, we will someday, but we can't see it now. If we could see it, him for who he is, we would give him the reverence that we would do and we would hitch, we would tether our 70 to 80 years, the brevity of our life to his life. And so in light of all of that, in light of all of that, look at how Moses concludes his perspective on time. Moses says, teach us. Teach us because we don't do this naturally. We don't. Teach us to number our days. Another translation says it as this, teach us to live as if our days are numbered. Teach us to number our days. That, meaning that this leads somewhere, meaning that there's a point or here's the result, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Friends, the result of numbering our days is wisdom. When we begin to number our days, when we remember that our time is limited, we immediately gain wisdom. We immediately gain perspective. We immediately know how to prioritize what's important inside of our lives, and we immediately know how to savor our time. We begin to see clearly. We know what we need to stop doing, and then we immediately know what we need to start doing. And we immediately know what we need to do more of, and we know what we need to do less of. Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. To bring this full circle, the way that we said it in the beginning was this, remembering that our time is limited provides us with the wisdom to know how to savor our limited time. So practically speaking, you guys, I, I, I can't tell you specifically what you need to do in your specific situation, in your specific life. I can't do that. I can't do that. But if you were to all of a sudden be told that you have one week, one month, or maybe even a year to live, that would change how you live your life. It would prioritize as you live with your days as they are numbered. And so let me ask you, if that was the, if that was the case, what would you do? What would you change? Who would you need to go and tell, I love you? 
Who would you need to forgive? Who would you need to apologize to? Who would you want to spend time with? What if you've been putting off this relationship with Jesus? You're thinking, I don't want to be a part of that. Maybe it's time. In light of the limited time that we have on this earth, maybe it is time. Or maybe it's time to come back home and to truly start to live for him, not just in words, but in practice and in relationship. It's a beautiful place to be. Unfortunately, we never know when our days stop and when that ends. But remembering that we have limited days and that our time is limited provides us with the wisdom to savor our limited time. I've learned this to be true in my life. Moses clearly learned it to be true in his life. And what I want to do is I want to invite a friend up here in just a sec to come up and share it in his life. As I was putting this talk together and I was thinking about time and the time that we have, I remember thinking I have this rare perspective. Does anybody else share this rare perspective outside of my wife? And I started to think that a friend I've been texting with does. Because my friend named Aaron, who has been a part of this church since the very, very beginning, has brain cancer. And I wasn't sure if, if I wanted to bring him up and ask him to share a little bit. Because I know that at the time when I was walking through what I wanted to, I didn't want to talk about anything. But when I mentioned it to him, Aaron jumped at the opportunity to come up and share just for a second his perspective of time. And so Aaron, would you mind, would you, would you come and join me? And would you guys give Aaron a hand as he comes up? All right, buddy, what, tell me a little bit about um, your prognosis so that, I mean, obviously I know, but tell us, I know some people here know a little bit about what you're walking through, but would you explain a little bit about what you're going through? Sure. Um, uh, I have had complications as a child since five, so um, this kind of crept up uh, six months ago, kind of a uh, weight pulled up from under your feet, kind of like, oh. You've got brain cancer now, so it's just kind of like, oh, okay, hmm. And uh, it's, it's difficult because um, I've already had stuff that, that I dealt with, but I wasn't, you know, I didn't cry, didn't, didn't you know, like, I've never once, like, sh- shaking my fist at God, but it's kind of like, okay, God, what are you, what are you talking about in this, and what are you trying to show me? And if anything, um, I know uh, the uh, the doctor was very blunt. He's just like, "Hey, we don't know what type of tumor it is. We're just gonna call it a glioma. It's in the pons, so it's kind of in the same area as uh, as Maggie's, but it's a little different." And um, he just said, "We've got you know years, months, maybe even weeks." Uh, get you on treatment. So I've already had uh, four rounds of then uh, Christian chemo and proton therapy, which was the um, chemo. So that's that's pretty much 
Yeah. So I'm like in recovery mode. So. Yeah. So so basically, what the doctor said is outside of a miracle. Outside of a miracle, the dog diagnosis is not good. Yeah, and it doesn't look like um, he he. They just quoted a couple years, months. So like, I mean, it's it's kind of. That's a life changer right there. <laughs> yeah, that changes exactly. everything. Let me ask you, how has that changed your, we've talked about this via text and, and conversations, um, but how has this changed your perspective and how, how you look at time, man? It's definitely changed. I mean, wanting to, the volunteer and help out with the kids, because I, you know, I help out with the kids. I've helped out with kids. Pretty much all my life. That's pretty much, you know, my God talent. And not being able to do that and being tired and being, you know, yeah. uh, well, it's strength, it makes it very difficult because I want to. It's like, Lord, this is, you know, my gifting. I can't do it because I'm, you know, tired yeah. and stuff. So it's just kind of like... Um, it's like, Laura, what are you, what are you doing with my life? It's just like, uh, I try to be strength, you know, and try to be like that warrior type of, of yeah. thing. And it's just like, it's, it's difficult at times. But it's just like, okay, God, if, if you're going to use me, then go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. We talked a little bit. You talked about how valuable time was and the perspective of heaven. I think that's one of the things that we share Closely, as we think about heaven a whole lot, um, ever since you got that diagnosis, ever since we lost Maggie, or even Maggie's diagnosis, you just think about heaven a ton. In that time that you that you're resting and and uh, and trying and and waiting your way through this, is that true? Yes, um, had a very vivid, vivid dream. I, I can only explain it as I actually went to heaven. And uh, and Jesus, and it wasn't like you know one of those things of just like talking talk to Jake and you know just Jesus, and I'm. <laughs> I'd really love to be just like Jesus, but not quite. <laughs> you get the point. I got a long way to go. So, uh, yeah. so no, I actually actually met Maggie, and I actually had. Yeah. Uh, it was it was vivid. Yeah. It was very very. Um, uh, yeah. It's difficult. I can I can go into it, but it'll take yeah. up too much time. But yeah. Yeah. You he just to to explain that in a nutshell. He he called me immediately afterwards. Actually, you called me like a lot right after that texting. Get, answer me, Jake. Kind of a thing. Uh, he had a dream right after he got diagnosed that he went to heaven and that he met Maggie and Maggie showed him around heaven, um, different places. Um, he ended up writing the whole entire dream out um, for us, and it was very encouraging for us and things that uh, he wouldn't have known um, without, um, without um, it being shown to him. Exactly. So it was pretty amazing. Um, and we'll, at one point in time, we'll share that. But share me this. Share me what have you been doing now that your time has obviously uh, been limited to a degree, and hopefully we're still praying that that will not be the case, right, that you will have a long life here on this planet. But... How have you been spending your days? What have you been doing, prioritizing in your life, savoring the time that you've been given? Just trying to spend as most as I can with, you know, friends and family, um, doing the best I can, you know, even if it, when it comes down to um, 
uh, you know, being tired, anxiety, um, enjoying food. I know. <laughs> That's, that's one of the you have that, never posted so much food <laughs> online. I've, it's amazing. Well, that's one of the things with dex, dexamethasone. I, I get them on this pill, and it's supposed to help with the swelling. And some people can have um, appetite depressions. But uh, when you're thinking of what you're going to eat next in your sleep, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just the opposite. So It's um, amazing. So, yeah, so, so just spending time yeah. with friends, eating, and then, you know, um, savoring, me, food. Me savoring food, music, savoring yeah. music. I mean, I like music, and there's certain music that I like, and then, you know, there's certain songs that I'll play over and over again and just, yeah. you know, meditate on it, especially worship, worship songs. Yeah. And just, just being like, okay, Lord, I know you, you might never my days, you might not, but let me at least... Yeah. Um, Savor and spend as much yeah. time as I can. So. Yeah, one of the things that he's he's not saying, but he should say, um, but he's being humble, is that he's been giving a lot of his stuff away, the things that are significant to him. Uh, one of the things that's significant, Aaron has an amazing imagination, uh, and and so uh, he collects swords. And so he's been collecting all these different types of swords. I have one in my office that he has given to me. But you are also giving them away, your own swords, to different kids and, and whatnot. My son got one. This right here is a picture of my son when Aaron gave him a lightsaber of his own. And, and not only did he, he didn't even stop there. My, he, Aaron is limited days, and what does he choose to do with his days? He comes to our house, and he sword fights Percy because Percy is, Aaron is Percy's hero. Um, and he was in Percy's class and trained him. In fact, I didn't know this was happening, but right when we were sitting out there, he came in, and I was talking to Aaron, and Percy goes, Mom, I found Aaron, and he had drawn a picture of him and Aaron and just together and, and whatnot, but he has invested into my kids, and here he is investing back and giving back in his limited time, which to me, brother, is so stinking courageous and is, uh, is amazing um, what you're doing, is that in this minute you could easily be selfish and make everything about you, but you're not. You're choosing to make it about God and to make it about others. And I just, I'm blown away by that personally. Um, uh, have you ever, did you ever think about blaming God or, or, or getting angry with God in this process when you got the diagnosis or just turning away from him or what? Have you ever think of that? In the process. Uh, I think turning away would be the stupidest, <laughs> stupidest thing ever. <laughs> I mean, author of life and... Eh. Um, <laughs> no, I mean... Yeah. It's, because a lot know, of people would blame God yeah. and for I, some and situation I, and like I know this. Jesus, Jesus even said, you know, on this, in this life you will have trouble, but yeah. take heart, I have overcome the world, and it's... Yeah, buddy. <laughs> It's, it's difficult, but it's just like, okay, God. It's just like what, what Job said, though he slay me, I'll, I'll trust in him. And, you yeah. know, I've had to have that kind of David slash Job heart kind of my whole life and just being like, okay, God, whatever you've yeah. got, you know, I'll, I'll take it. And if it means being a, being a, um, a subject and being, you know, someone who can show that to others and other people can say, oh, well, he's got every right to blame God, but he's not blaming God. He's trekking on despite his difficulties. 
I've got difficulties. Uh, I'm sh sure I'm, I can get along just as fine as he is. So. Yeah. Dude, you blow me away. You inspire me, man, truly. And I know I'm not the only one who feels that way. I know my son fully feels that way. And I know that many people here uh, feel that way. Can I do this? Can we do this? Can I pray for you? Can we pray for you? Yes. And then will you do a... <laughs> Literally, we pray for you all the time. Percy prays for you before we go to bed um, at night. Um, and then uh, would you pray for us as well? So let me, let me pray for you. Let's start there.